welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And welcome to season eight. Emily, we're here. We did it. I am, my mind is blown for many reasons, but eight, like, that's how many seasons the infamous television show Charmed had. Infamous indeed. I feel like we you've watched that. I think I, we both have watched. I've watched parts of it, of course. I was going to say eight, the number of seasons we wish Edge of History had gotten. Good. A little less tangible, but good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're so, so thrilled to have our returning National Treasure Hunters joining us for our next foray into our National Treasure Hunt. And to all of you joining us for the first time, welcome Yes, welcome, 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 welcome to this beautiful endeavor that we began and we didn't really know much about. And now we bring our chaos and thoughts to your ears on a every other week basis. So welcome. It's it's a fun time. You made that sound really enticing, Emily. You have a lot of content to catch up on if you haven't. <laughs> If you haven't checked us out and like we don't do those lame like 20 minute episodes, we're we're here. So we are indeed. Well, before we dive into the content of this episode and spoiler alert, we're going to be talking national treasure heists. What better way to kick off a season? Um, We have to start the way we start every episode. Uh, We've been doing this for a while now, but since it's the beginning of a season, I will briefly explain. Join us as we share our screams from Parkington Lane. (laughs) If you were wondering, newcomers, that was David Diane Fisher, a.k.a. Shaw, screaming on the pod. Um, But... In case you were unaware, our screams from Parkington Lane are our regular acknowledgement that Emily and I have fallen so deep into that deadly Parkington Lane pit that National Treasure pops up in our daily lives on a daily basis. Like, it's not really an exaggeration. And we share those instances with you here on the pod. So, Emily, do you have a fantastic season opener scream for me today? I don't know if it's like a fantastic season opener scream, but I have a what I think is a pretty good scream. And, you know, I think listeners, longtime listeners will know that I've had some difficulty over the seasons uh, coming up with screams. And sometimes they felt like breaches. Today didn't feel like that much of a reach. And I say this because today on my drive home from work, I was on the turnpike passing like an open bed, large truck that had these very, very long tubes in them. And the tubes were, like, relatively thin, clearly very dirty, right? But they weren't, like, caked in mud. They were just, like, they looked worn. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, the first thought I had when I looked at them was, those are giant copies of the Declaration of Independence. Wow. And they were not, but I was really proud of myself for just going there in my head. Oh my gosh. And it just happened. You didn't really think about it. That was just the first thing you thought of. It was. What an impeccable scream. Well done. Well, I have one that I've been really excited to share. So at the time of this recording, I don't know, a little insider baseball for you all. It's a few weeks post Thanksgiving. And this story of mine um, takes place on Thanksgiving, 2023. Um, 
my mom and I were going for a walk. We were walking the dog, the marshmallow dog, um, and just like around the neighborhood. Uh, you know how people, very rude people, like litter mm-hmm. and stuff. Well, we're walking down the street, and literally a piece of litter in the street is an entire like magazine, like a catalog, whole catalog, right? Um, and it's open to like a random page. And as I'm walking by, I literally do a double take, then turn around and walk back to it because Emily, this catalog of like trinkets and toys and gadgets was literally open to a page on puzzle boxes. Whoa, that's pretty cool. I thought you were going to say page 47. And then I was like, that's too many pages for a catalog. (laughs) No, no, no. This was like you could order puzzle boxes. And that just so happened to be the page that this whole thing was open to. And it's not like a catalog of all puzzle boxes. So this is like, it broke my brain. My mom also, who listens to the pod, shout out mom. um, She was like, that's kind of wild. I was like, no, mom, that is a scream from Parkington Lane. It is. Oh, my goodness. That is amazing. And Aubrey, I think we have a scream from a uh, one of our patrons. Yes, we do. Um, this is a great one. Like this one blows, I think, both of ours out of the water. Uh, this is coming from National Treasure Superfan Rich, who works at the post office. And he shared that as he was unloading a truck recently, a tube came off of a pallet and rolled over to his feet. So he picks it up because, like, not supposed to be just on the ground. Um, And he saw that the name on it, like, it was addressed to, was Ben Gates. What? And it oddly enough, it didn't click for him immediately, like, the whole National Treasure connection, but he hands it to his coworker, um to put back on the palette and she goes oh my god do you think the declaration of independence is in here um but i was just like i i I, aubrey remember thinking there's no way this is a coincidence like someone is pulling a practical joke i mean there has to be someone named obviously ben gates but But specifically mailing like a poster to or like receiving a poster to i don't know i don't know i just love this so much thank you so much for sharing rich yes thank you rich and if you too want to be like rich you can become a super fan yourself and follow us on social media we are on twitter and instagram at nt hunt podcast uh, you can find out basically everything that there is to know about us, aside from our bathroom schedules, on our website, nthuntpodcast.com. And if you have not yet, please order our book, National Treasure Hunt, One Step Short of Crazy, at tuckerdspress.com. And if you, too, would like to have potentially a scream shared on the podcast, uh, go ahead and check out our Patreon and become a member at patreon.com slash nthuntpodcast. All right, now that all that business is out of the way, it is time to dive into the meat of this episode. Once again, we are kicking off season eight with an in-depth comparison, if you will, of all of the infamous heists that you will find within the National Treasure franchise, okay? Um, This is one of those exercises where we want to see what patterns emerge within the franchise and how those patterns can tell us something about why the franchise is so popular and why people enjoy it so much, why it's so successful. So we're going to do this for the first National Treasure film. 
Then we're going to go into National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. And then we're going to talk about actually a few different heists in the recent TV show, National Treasure Edge of History. Uh, for each heist, we're going to start by reviewing the steps of the heist, because I think it's really important that for some of these really complex heists that we're like all on the same page of how they worked. Uh, then we're going to talk about each of the heist's key qualities and use that to answer the question, what works and what doesn't work about each heist in question. And then we're going to wrap up the episode, which what I think is going to be most interesting, which is basically saying, okay, based on what we've discussed across the board, can we assess what makes a high quality national treasure heist? Um, and then, of course, you know, maybe that'll give us some something to look forward to for a potential National Treasure 3. Does that sound good, Em? That sounds fantastic. All right. Well, I did think that before we, we go into the first heist in question, maybe it's important to give ourselves a definition of what a heist actually is so that we can work with that. We love definitions. Um, well, color me surprised because when I actually Googled, like, the definition of heist through Merriam-Webster... Um, it was literally a two-sentence definition that I personally do not affiliate necessarily with the word heist. And that definition is an armed robbery. Um, okay. I, I guess many heists fit in that category. I don't think it's exclusive. But, but I was going to say, like, <laughs> we've been, like, everyone calls National Treasure a heist film for good reason, but as we've elaborated many times on the podcast ben gates is very unique in that he does not wield a weapon he does not ever he wields a declaration of independence as a weapon anyway and knowledge <laughs> knowledge is his weapon so what i think we we what i decided to do here was actually craft my own definition um so <laughs> For the Very objective of us. For the purposes of this conversation, the national treasure hunt definition of a heist there we go. will be accomplishing an illegal task based on a complex multi-step plan that requires advanced planning and preparation. Sounds good. All right, you're on board? I am on, I am on board. Honestly, I was expecting to have to litigate the definition with you, so we're off to a good start. No, sounds good. <laughs> Okay, well, let's start where we must, which is the first National Treasure film. Emily, do you uh, do you remember like what the main heist was in the first film, though? Uh, stealing the Declaration of Independence, Aubrey. I'm okay. not dumb. No, I just, I don't know. We haven't recorded for a while. Needed to make sure you remembered. Yeah, they go to the gala and they steal the Declaration of Independence. And there's a ton of stuff that happens. And it's one of the best scenes of the film. And the music is really cool. And it's awesome. Okay, well, uh, all that's accurate, so yay. Um, I do think that if I asked you to recount by memory all the steps of the heist, you wouldn't necessarily be able to do it off the top of your head. Fine. Fine. So I'm just going to remind everyone of the steps of the heist. Um, something that I think is really important for this particular heist, though, and we have talked about this before on the podcast and in our book, is that the heist in the first film is so complex that we have to break this down between pre-heist and during the heist. Yeah, the uh, this is so this is why I didn't contest the definition because the planning definitely is the big aspect of the heist sequence. 
Right. So let's talk pre-heist. Um, we have the need to hijack the archive's security footage from the National Archives metro station. We have taking a photo of an archive's janitor's badge and photoshopping Ben's face into it and then printing the badge so it's like a decoy badge. We have flipping through some you know, pages describing the casing around the declaration and the security system leading to it. We need to test the green laser pointer to determine whether it could, you know, markedly increase the temperature of the heat sensor. We have to test the fluorescent powder under a black light and then, you know, do the prep of dipping the campaign button and sending the button to Abigail. And then really starting the heist. So this is kind of between pre and, and during heist. Riley launches it all by attaching the laser pointer to the camcorder, posing as a tourist, and targeting the heat sensor in the declaration case to get that declaration moved. And then Ben actually starting the heist, the real heist, dressing up in his tux beneath the, you know, the janitor's garb. And now we transition into the heist itself. So let's see. We got Ben doing his wardrobe change. We then have him you know, grabbing Abigail's fingerprint from the champagne flute using the iodine and crazy glue trick. We need to use the black light to determine Abigail's password to get to the preservation room. We actually have to steal the declaration and then remove it from its casing. Um, all of this time, we need to have the security feed like hijacked until Ian's team takes it over, obviously. And then the final piece of the puzzle is buying a duplicate copy. Of the declaration. Mm -hmm. so Which was not planned. Which was not planned, but uh, an important piece of the of the heist nonetheless. And I know I went through that quickly, but part of that was almost to emphasize just how much was going on here. Oh, yeah. I mean, so much. We've talked about this before. The heist takes up a very large chunk of the movie, which I, I like. I think yes. it's great. Absolutely. Well, that's good. We're going to we're going to get to why this is good or why it's not good in a minute. But before we do that, I thought we could take a moment to kind of assess the key qualities of this particular heist. So a little bit broader than the specific actions. I think the first thing that stands out to me as a key quality of this heist is in terms of preparations, Ben and Riley are actually prepping completely independently. And mm. I think this is important because it further lends the impression that there's so much to be done much to do. Yeah. But also it really, I think emphasizes that each person's unique skill sets have to be tapped. Yeah. I think that's something and we'll get there probably <laughs> that we don't see in every heist that you're tapping into individual skill sets and exactly everybody's skill sets were used here which i think is really cool yes yes and it adds to the believability it adds to the buy-in from the audience member why you think they can actually pull this off yeah exactly um another key quality here that we've uh talked quite a bit about especially in our i think it was our episode talking about hollywood cliches yes it is was. Yeah, I love that. Um, we talked a lot about how the whole prep sequence is kind of a montage, which mm -hmm. um, shows you everything in a, in a way that further emphasizes like a lot of work to be done, a lot of work being done. But then when it comes to the carrying out the heist, 
we're in real time. We're seeing all of the prep work really come to fruition. And that's one of the things that I have loved about this heist is being able to watch the prep and then watch the heist and connect the dots and say, oh, he did that because now he's doing this. And there's a connection for everything. Yeah. And it's it's also not it, but it 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 does it in such a way where you're not your hand is not being held through mm-hmm. the entire thing. They're not ex they're not like doubling everything to show you like pre and then what happens during and pre and what happens during it's just like they give you a few snippets here and there and then they kind of show you like something that's related to it and it's up to you to like use your brain to put together like oh yeah this is what's happening which i think especially for like kids because we saw this when we were kids is a really cool like exercise and makes you feel very invested and like part of the story well i'm gonna take it one step further i think this might actually add to the rewatchability debate because if you watch the movie one time you're not gonna catch all of those intricacies you're not gonna see that you know oh he was ben was flipping through the security documents as he was eating his microwave meal so that he could figure out how to get to the preservation room and what tools he would need to bring in his janitor's belt to mm-hmm. take it out of the casing you know you you don't necessarily see the intricacies unless you watch it multiple times that's very true and some of us know that i don't see the intricacies even when i do watch it multiple times so <laughs> Um, I'm going to go on a limb and say another key quality here, which is, I think, quite unique to the franchise as a whole, is that we see one critical error made. Uh, That's the credit card slip. And that is what's necessary to make things feel more high stakes. because, Because it's one of those things where after all of this planning and expertise put to good use, it would feel really disappointing as the viewer if something didn't work based on that planning the point being you still want to remain faithful and believing in these characters so none of their planning can go wrong it has to be something else that goes wrong and that's exactly what we see yes and i will also say to to that point ben didn't have another option in that situation so it's like exactly what you said it's not that one it one it wasn't planned right he wasn't going to do that but two like it it wasn't that he should have thought that he was gonna have to buy one so he should have had cash on him type thing it's one of those like you can even see like in the moment right because he's looking for cash he doesn't want to do the credit card like he knows the problem yeah and so it still makes you believe in him even though like there is a logical error Mm -hmm. yeah i agree um okay my last key quality here um and maybe we're a little biased in this one but i think a very real quality of this heist is there's a lot of science and tech tricks and you know for a scientist i think it at minimum makes you curious about the science. But for a non-scientist, I think it's still, the science helps you understand how the heist is happening, even if you don't necessarily understand the science behind it. Um, and it will it turns out that this will also become a fairly unique 
component of the heist in this franchise, but I think is is very characteristic of what we're watching. So with all of this said, what works and what doesn't in this heist? Um, I have some thoughts. Uh, em, do you <laughs> do you have any thoughts that before I take over? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's the amount of work that's being put into it as well as the way that it's filmed uh, mm-hmm. t- to really emphasize that amount of work. And then, the, like you said, the science. I think even when I wasn't super into science at a young age, it still seems cool. For me, what works, um, and I want this to be the biggest picture part of the conversation of all, nearly everything works in this heist. It really does. Especially the key piece for me is the payoff that you get to see of each pre-heist step. Mm. And and I also think what really works is also the number of steps involved in planning and executing the heist. Like that overwhelming laundry list we started with. Because again, this is supposed to be an impossible task. It would be naive to portray anything simpler than what we see. Yeah. And I really I really like your your first point there too about like seeing everything come to fruition there's something they didn't skip steps right exactly which is very nice and i think unique then when it comes to what doesn't work i'm going to be honest i was grasping at straws here because you know thinking about this fundamentally and spoiler alert the more we do this exercise with the other pieces of the franchise um i really feel like this is almost a perfect heist I really do like, and I'm not just saying for this franchise in general, I think it just really, really works. The only thing that doesn't work to me is a storytelling element. And that's like, why is Ian choosing this night of all nights to steal the declaration himself when he knows there's going to be tons of people around? That's always been a little bit bothersome. We know it has to happen for story reasons. um, But that's to me, the only thing that doesn't work here. Yeah, it's interesting. I always assumed that Ian had like some knowledge of because there were going to be so many people and like so much was going to be going on that some of what he was doing was going to be covered by everything else going on. But it is a little naive to think that you could like use like explosives and people talking upstairs would cover up that noise. For example. So I guess that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that covers our discussion of the first heist. Anything else to say or should we move on? Let's let's go to the second one because I it's not going to live up. I can already feel it. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Which heist are we talking in National Treasure 2? It's got to be kidnapping the president, right? It is. But the reason that that it was a question I actually wanted to ask is because you could kind of argue that in National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets, there are actually a few other heist-esque portions. Like, oh, like going into the Buckingham Palace. Yes, exactly. But we don't see the prep work for getting into Buckingham Palace. In fact, a whole part of that prep was actively cut from the movie. There's a whole deleted scene about Ben going to the curator's office, or Ben and Riley going into the curator's office. And that was cut out of the movie clearly showing that that's not a priority so we're not going to analyze that for heist worthiness that being said this was really the franchise's first time trying multiple heists and 
Did it work? Well, we'll get to that. So let's let's talk about kidnapping the president, which is the main heist in the second film. To be clear, we are not kidnapping the president, just in case that audio clip is taken out of context. Thank you. I actually genuinely appreciate that caveat, Em. Uh, let's talk steps of the heist. Immediately, we're going to see a difference, okay? okay? Step one, posing as journalists and other people asserting that the president of the United States is having his birthday party at a former meeting place of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, then... We book up the alternative party locations, leaving only Mount Vernon, knowing that they have the map uh, to the tunnels in their possession. Now, um, at some point, Ben had to test the tunnels, but I think we're meant to assume that was pre-national treasure, not pre-national treasure to heist. So I'm not going to really include that as a step of the heist here. Okay. Then we're starting to actually do the heist. We dress in our tux under our scuba gear. We get dropped off by a boat in the Potomac River. We swim ashore. We have our wardrobe change. We get the president's interest and attention. And then we have our quote unquote kidnapping. If you want to hear why I said quote unquote, we have lots of arguments on the podcast and in our book about why we're not convinced this is necessarily a kidnapping. Anyway, that's the heist. It's not great. I mean, I'm just going to, I don't want to talk about quality yet. It's nowhere near as intricate as the first one. No, and I think that's for many reasons. So let's talk about the key qualities then of this heist, shall we? First and foremost, we're immediately seeing a difference between the first National Treasure heist because the film is now asking you to read between the lines as an audience member. Um, for example, in terms of getting the party moved. For, I think, a child or even like a teenager watching this movie for the first time, I don't think it's totally obvious how they were fundamentally involved in getting the party moved to Mount Vernon. You watch it a couple of times, I think it becomes a bit more clear. Now, admittedly, I don't hate this because I think, like I said, it adds to the rewatchability. But there's a lot more reading between the lines, I think, in this heist than the first one. Yeah, I don't know if I would characterize it as reading between the lines as much as just, like, paying attention. Like, it's very easy to miss. And that is kind of, like, this heist has fewer steps, so it is a pretty key component. And they move through it really quickly. Like, that scene where they're calling, like, they intentionally show them doing all the phone calls very quickly. And I think that's to imply that they have a lot of phone calls to make, but we don't get to see it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, another key quality here, which is kind of cool, is the synergies between the prep that they're doing and the historical time frame of the movie. Specifically, they make a reference to the KKK as how they're trying to get the party moved. And that is in line with the Civil War historical era of the movie itself. Which I think is an added level of complexity that I personally quite like. Yeah. It's not necessary. It's a nice touch. Yeah. Um, Another key quality. There's really no science or tech here. No. That, I hate it. There's not a ton of prep work in general. scuba dove. (laughs) There's not. And somehow magically fit a tux under a skin tight scuba diving. Yeah. Like, that's the... That's the science. Okay. 
We're not on what works and what doesn't work yet, Em. Jeez. Just saying. Okay. Well, another quality, not a ton of prep work. I think this, all of this makes the heist itself move very quickly. That may or may not be a good thing. Okay. Yeah. So now let's talk what works and what doesn't. What Besides fitting a tux under a wetsuit, what works or doesn't work for you in this particular heist? Well, the stakes, I think, are good. High stakes, okay. Right, like, you gotta match the Declaration of Independence in terms of stakes. It, I think anything gets harder when you involve a person, which I feel like doesn't work <laughs> uh, as as well, because there's human like multiple sets of human error and decision making that go into things so like the president literally could have just been like nah and yeah. then ben would have been like oh i like i guess i'm gonna have to do this by force which we have no <laughs> indication that he was prepared to do right you right. know yeah yeah so okay I like that uh, assessment. Um, for me, what works, I agree with the high stakes. The other thing to me that really works here is we have intentional yet subtle nods to the original heist that started it all. We you have... know how much you love these subtle nods. So, for example, the tux under, you know, his disguise or his wetsuit, we have... Um, you know, the reason that he even has the Mount Vernon map, the former Charlotte lead from his first hunt. I think all of that works really well because you're incorporating these nods into the high stakes moment of the film. So it doesn't feel like throwaway nods. They feel like essential mm -hmm. nods, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. I, I like that. That's a much more positive, I feel like, spin on it than I had. That being said, yes, let's hear your negatives. What doesn't work? Okay, I'm going to allude back to where I started this Book of Secrets conversation. Book of Secrets is where they first tried to have multiple heists. Um, they got a little overzealous, I think, and it left all of the heists feeling a little half-hearted. Yeah. If I had to guess why, I think this is probably because they had too much runtime. They had too much footage and they had to cut back. So each heist felt a little bit rushed or a little bit lackluster because in theory, think about it. Yes, Buckingham Palace, getting into, let's go back to our definition of a heist, doing something illegal in a way that requires a lot of preparation and planning. Getting to the Queen's study in Buckingham Palace should have been a heist. Right, like how do they get that information? Getting into the Resolute Desk in the Oval Office should have been a heist. Mm -hmm. Kidnapping the president could have been a much more fulsome heist. And so because they were trying to do all of this, I think they all, all the heists got shortchanged. Now, I will also go as far as to say, as we've discussed here, the kidnapping itself, the main heist, is far less complex than that National Treasure original heist. Even from us just typing out the steps, that was clear. But I would argue... That the kidnapping easily could have been much more intricate if they had even just showed us any of the prep related to the tunnel map or how they found out 
the other party locations that they then had to book up? Like, did they trick Connor? Did they trick, you know, Ty mm. Burrell into telling them? Like, how did they get that information? Right. Those sorts of details would it would have added so much to the planning sequence that I argue is so fundamental to the heist in this franchise. Yeah, and I think for me, what would have really what would have really done it is if the president like pushed back a little more. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I want Ben to have like manhandled him, but I do think that some amount of like because he it doesn't he didn't trick the president like that's why again again he just kind of was like this, oh you're interested in this so is this a kidnapping talk. yeah is it <laughs> and so like i think it would have been better if there was like some like w- like what if they had had to go there first and like dig some kind of like hole or something or find a hole where, like, they could, you know, like, open something and then he would have, like, fallen into it or something and not gotten hurt. Like, it, se- it sounds ridiculous, but, like, honestly, that would have been, like, a cool additional step. More of a know? kidnapping. I think I think maybe I finally convinced you that this isn't totally viable as a kidnapping as presented. No. Yeah. Okay. Anything else to say about the second film? I mean, the first one's better. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> Now it's time to talk National Treasure Edge of History. This is a totally different game because in 10 nearly one hour long episodes, you do have numerous heists. And we're going to talk about several of them. And you might judge us for which ones we talk about and then what we choose not to talk about. I'm going to try to justify why we do and what we what we do talk about what we don't. Um, but that's going to get to kind of another thesis I want to make part part way down this section all right sounds good um the first thing that could be read as a heist a little bit in the show I think is when Jess and Tasha get into like get make their way into the Freemason Lodge in episode one under false pretenses I'm gonna argue that that's not a presented actually as a heist even though it could have been because there was no prep involved um, it really, truly felt like Jess was deciding her moves on the fly, um, which I think we are meant to believe, especially from the perspective of Tasha, who literally is like, why did you do this? Why are we doing that? Where do we go now? And it's like, uh, uh, I just tried it because I saw this on the picture. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And it also just kind of feels like they like just walked in. Exactly. So let's move on to what I think is the first real bona fide heist of the season, which comes in episode three at Graceland. So recall, or for those who haven't watched, our main characters need to get into the secret room at Graceland to find their next clue. And I think it's important to point out, they technically don't know what they're looking for in the secret room. Okay. Mm. They think they're looking for one thing, they realize they're actually looking for something else. That's going to be, I think, important. I'm going to get to that. But first, what are the steps here? Well, first, we have character Oren posing as a tourist. He opens a jar of moths um, in Graceland when the curators are opening the Elvis costume display cases, um, which causes the curators to call exterminators. Tasha intercepts that call. Uh, then uses Yelp to figure out how much time the exterminators will take to actually get there. 
Then we have Ethan and Liam disguising themselves as the exterminators so that Ethan gets taken to the secret room and he takes pictures of the ebony dove guitar. Then once we realize that wasn't the right clue, Jess rushes in, goes to the secret room, breaks in using the key code of the date that Elvis brought, bought Graceland, and then she records the La Paloma record at some point. We don't actually get to see her recording it. Um, and then Tasha wipes the security footage. I don't think I'm missing anything there. No. That, uh, honestly, that had more steps to it than I remembered. I tried being really thorough because as we get to later heist in the show, um, I can't, it's hard to be gracious because there really becomes less and less to talk about in terms of the planning. So let's go for the key qualities of the Graceland heist. Number one, zero, not little, zero prep is shown. So now we've gone from a ton of prep in National Treasure to minimal prep in Book of Secrets to none in this first heist of Edge of History. Did you realize that? I don't think I realized the lack of prep part because I feel like there were so many steps that were happening that I was more focused on like all the people doing the things that yeah. I didn't, it didn't even like occur to me that we didn't see them setting up for it. Yeah. Um, we also, another key quality here, and I alluded to this earlier, they, and therefore we as the audience, don't actually know what they're looking for and what the end goal of their heist is. That ends up making things feel more chaotic, but that might also work in the context yeah. of the show because of their age and the noviceness that they exhibit when it comes to heists and treasure hunts writ large. True, yeah. I agree with that. Um, but then the final quality here is instead of a small error happening, the credit card slip in Ben's case, you have literally the whole heist going wrong because they don't know what they're looking for, right? This is why Jess has to go back in, which creates all these other problems because she technically can't break it. Like she really can't break in because of her DACA status and et cetera, et cetera. So like the whole thing goes wrong because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. That wasn't my favorite uh, moment. <laughs> okay. So, um, and, you know, we're going to go through these Edge of History heists a, a little bit fast because they are shorter and um, we have a number to get through. But what works and what doesn't for you when it comes to the Graceland heist? So this is going to be a mix of the two. <laughs> okay. So I think part of what works for me is that there are multiple different steps and we see different people involved in those different steps. So it does feel like everyone has a role to play. Mm -hmm. That is until kind of we like have to backtrack on the whole thing. And mm -hmm. then it's just like, just, just going to go in and get it. Yeah. Um, But it kind of, the opposite side of that is that whereas with the the first heist in, in National Treasure and the first National Treasure film, we were saying that it really felt like everyone's skill set was being utilized. I would argue here the only like skill sets that are being utilized are like Tasha with the ability to do like techie stuff. Yeah. 
And then I guess you could argue Jess's ability to like see things where other people don't necessarily see them. In like the code. Yeah, but like, yeah, but then everybody else is just kind of like doing stuff. Because when you think about it, other people don't have treasure hunt skill sets as clear, as clearly assigned to them, right? Like, Ethan has law, but that's about it. Like, what is breaking it all here? Right. But what is like, what is Liam's treasury skill set? What is Oren's treasury skill set? I mean, he knows conspiracy theories. He's the reason they know about the secret room, I guess. But like, you get what I'm saying? I yeah. I actually completely agree with your assessment here. To me, we're slightly back to the individual skill sets and assets being used, and that works well. Um, it would have been nicer, I think, if everyone had a clear skill set being used. Um, I will also say that the use of disguises works here and seems to be a common thread because now this is three for three where we see that National Treasure using that element. Mm-hmm. For me, what doesn't work here is very clearly the not knowing the target of their heist, which leads them to like kind of accidentally finding the right thing. And that feels... Feels less authentic. Less believable. Absolutely. Yeah. I compl- that's That's my biggest thing with this one. Yeah. No, I agree. I didn't I didn't think about it like that. But yeah, that's definitely true as well. Um, okay. Anything else to say about Graceland besides we have to go someday? <laughs> uh let's not steal things while we're there. No, but maybe we can find our way to the secret room. Um, okay, let's talk next heist in question comes in episode five. This is at the governor's mansion. Uh, right? This is where we need to take a look at or take Meriwether Lewis's journal all right so you're gonna start seeing that the steps of the heist become harder for me to delineate like it was so easy for me to do the national treasure one it was just long right it was just like very clearly each of these steps it's gonna get harder and harder for me to do that so apologies I guess (laughs) Um, so our steps here are purchasing tickets to the governor's re-election gala Go to the gala, go look at the journal while the birthday cake is being brought out to the governor at 615 and security is distracted or whatever. And from here, the steps become wildly sketchy because things go go to chaos again. Um, I don't know what the intended steps were because like it wasn't clear to us what they were going to do when they got to the journal. Were they literally just going to like stand there reading page by page? Like like taking infinite they, amount of time to like look at the pages i don't know they certainly did not make it seem as though the original plan was to take it so right, right. yes you're led to believe that that was what they were this gonna is, do but this is another place where i really feel like prep would have helped us as viewers see what they even intended because i have no idea how they were going to tackle this task um but again it doesn't matter because ultimately the subsequent steps became jess and ethan do their dumb cotillion dance um, <laughs> oh my gosh! I forgot about that scene. I, no, I know, I know. You blocked it out of your head. Um, then Liam sees Billy outside and goes to take the journal himself. And then Jess tries to find Liam, sees him leaving with the journal, and then she runs from the guards for some reason. And then Tasha creates a distraction, and then Jess escapes. 
And then Billy ends up with the journal because Casey knocks Liam out. And now I very clearly am just summarizing the show. I, these are not steps anymore, but I don't, do you understand my plight? <laughs> I do. I do. I think, yes. I, I don't want to like overstep the the schematic here, but I do think that with the show in general, and you kind of mentioned this earlier, because they are young, there's definitely supposed to be an inherent amount of chaos. <laughs> and I think the chaos is coming through very oh, yeah. strongly here. Because um, once again, it was one of those things where like the original plan didn't work and we had to do the next plan. Whereas at least with Ben, like in the first film, even the second film, his original plan works. Yep. There's just like a slight issue. Honestly, these these early heists in Edge of History, when you really think about it, why do we believe in these treasure hunters at all? Because they can, because they pull it off. Because I think they're lucky. They're right. They- but the fact that they pull it off is, I think, what lends us to, like, we'll like, okay, we'll go along with it. Yeah, if you like start to think about it too hard, the chances that people will continue to get that lucky are are low. Yeah. But I do think that, yeah, we'll, we'll continue and then I have thoughts. <laughs> okay, okay. So let's talk about the key qualities of the Governor's Mansion heist. Uh, once again, zero prep shown. Um, but... This time, I'm going to take it one step further. Unlike Graceland, we don't just not see prep. I genuinely don't think there was any. Like, it was clear that for the Graceland one, they did think about it. Like, what kind of moths do we need? You know, things like that. We just didn't see it. For this one, I really don't think there was any prep because we don't get any inkling of what their what their plan was. They were essentially just going to for lack of better terms, split up and search for clues. Yeah, I think the impression that I got is this is more like the second, like the the Heist and National Treasure 2, where there's not as much prep involved uh, because, like, there, there's a reliance on people, right? Mm. Like, I think their their main thing was, like, oh, well, people are distracted with this birthday cake, and so let's do it then. Yeah. Or we'll dance to distract them, or Tasha will rant to distract. Like, it's all based on people, so there's, I think, inherently less, like, planning that goes into it, but it still could have benefited from some. Agree, agree. Um, Another key quality, this is going to come off harsh. I really don't mean it that way. I don't mean it as a criticism of the actual production. I mean it as a criticism of these characters. Poor execution. Like, they get distracted themselves because of the, da- like, the cotillion dance. That that could have messed up their, it, it did. It did mess up their whole plan. Like, yeah. it's it's not necessary, and it actually causes everything to derail. So, like, just poor execution on the heisting front. Yeah, for sure. And then ultimately, the other big big key quality here, elephant in the room, they don't actually end up with the object of their heist. They have failed. Yeah, they have. And it's because there's poor communication. It's the first time we've seen a national treasure heist straight up fail. Now, there will be no consequences because we'll get the journal back anyway. But, like, 
Yeah. Okay. So this is probably where you have thoughts, Em, because you said you did a couple seconds ago. What works? What doesn't work? So what works in the context of the show, I think, is different than what works in the context of a heist. So I think that what works for this air quote heist Mm -hmm. in the context of the show is that it's chaotic because they are young. Feelings are getting in the way because they are young. And at least we kind of, like, we knew that they were, like, the journal was the thing, right? Whereas, Mm -hmm. like, before, it was just like, oh, we're just going to go into Graceland and find something. Right. But That's what works for me. But to me, I think it's critical to point out, we're talking about what works as a heist, Right, that's why it's specified. So, no, and that's what I, why I'm saying. Half of what you just said has nothing to do with this as a heist. It has to do with the story. So right. your ultimate okay. thesis here is what works is they knew what they were looking for. Sure. Um, what doesn't work? Um, honestly, for me, what really stood out was the lack of, like, teamness of the whole thing. Team, this is not a word. <laughs> the lack of trust that they had in one another, like with with Ben and Riley, I'm just comparing everything to the first heist now. Like they trusted each other very strongly. They were doing their own thing, both in the prep and in the heist. Ben was trusting that Riley had those cameras to a different stream that he could go and do what he needed to do. Mm. Here, no one really seems to trust anyone else because as soon as like Liam sees Billy, he tries to help, but then Jess sees Liam with the journal and is like, oh no, he's he must be bad. But it's like, <laughs> let's let's clarify our allegiances and our trust in each other before we enter a heist situation. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's where heists like fall apart very easily and don't don't work well. Okay. Okay. How about you? Um, for me, what works, I will say that while some viewers might like the parallels to the Archives Gala, I don't. So for no, me, really? for me, what works as a heist here is nothing. Genuinely. Nothing about the heist works. To me, what, do- I mean, obviously I could then say what doesn't work everything, but no, what I mean, when I- what doesn't work here is that there is no plan and there is no payoff since they lost the journal. True. And this is really um, where it struck me once again that like it feels like when they try to do too many heists, they can't accomplish any of them completely. And I feel like we're starting to see that in the show starting here. Yeah. And I will say to your point of like that there's no payoff, it also kind of meant that there were no stakes. Like there were stakes, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, the stakes weren't like as much like, oh no, we're going to lose the object because they obviously did, but more like Jess is going to be seen by someone she shouldn't be seen by doing this illegal thing. And And so it's a little more like you have to be thinking about what the stakes are, which is like not what a heist needs. One step further, that's partially probably... That's part of the reason why 
the stakes feel so farcical. Remember, we've spent plenty of time criticizing why didn't Jess just stop running from the guards? She didn't have the journal. Why is she running? Right. She had a ticket. She's allowed to be there. Right. So like that we've actually had a lot of issue with. And maybe that's partially because that's now artificial stakes for this heist. That's a good point. Yeah. Okay. Shall we move on to the next? Yes. All right. Next is the next episode. So we're going like heist at high frequency. Episode six at the Alamo. Um, This is an interesting heist because it's like a heist inside of a heist. Right. Mm. Like the the heist that we think we're seeing is Jess and Billy trying to get the third box from the well at the Alamo. But the real heist is Jess tricking Billy to get the Jade and Obsidian boxes from her. Mm hmm. So the the steps of the heist here, again, remember, we're starting, we're working with Billy here from the beginning of the heist. We're using a virtual reality headset to visualize a 10-minute reenactment that happens at the Alamo and to figure out how to use that time to get to the well. This is really the prep part. It's the high-tech prep part. Um, we then disguise as reenactors, and then Jess climbs down the well with the lodestone boxes, she doesn't find the lapis box. Billy then climbs down the well herself because she doesn't believe her. Jess locks her in. Jess now has the two boxes. Yep. <laughs> so it's very simple, but yep. I think it actually, despite its simplicity, has a lot of the key qualities that we're looking for. We do actually have prep here. Yes. That top notch. Yes. We only it needed Billy for that, but we got it. <laughs> Yes, we it's it's abbreviated. It's short, but it exists and we see it. Mm. Um, also, te like tech, tech. Exactly. And like, we have our, I feel like that's sciencey. Well, we have the science of the mag magnetic lodestone boxes as mm -hmm. well. True. Um, we have our disguise again. Like we're really getting somewhere here with our with our key components. Um, we also have a new component. That's a, a key, unique quality, working or pretending to work with the enemy mm. in a heist, not just like to fight, like to take the last steps of the treasure hunt, but we're actually working with them on a heist. Yeah. And that, that is something we haven't actually seen in like the National Treasure films. Totally. I mean, you could argue like, you know, Ben was working with Ian for the Charlotte thing, but one, you know sure you're not supposed to steal stuff from a ship that's buried under the ice and they probably didn't have like a planning permit to dig that up but like there wasn't enough to it that it was it felt like a heist no. so i really don't think that's like a good comparison no i completely agree this is totally new to the franchise and frankly uh just to get into what works and what doesn't i think that really works yeah i think it's it adds to the drama yeah. Like, for lack of a better term. Anything else in particular work for you? Um, I mean, the, the, the science science component of it, I think, was, was good for me. And the, the fact that we actually ended up with something. Mm -hmm. And I will say that things were chaotic, but it felt more like necessary chaos because they're like jess's 
Like the the Jess utilized that chaos to do something mm-hmm. versus everybody just getting their feelings hurt and there being chaos and then it not really being it just like getting in the way. Yeah, I'm gonna we'll call it strategic chaos. Yes. Yeah. Okay, what doesn't work for you? Um I don't love that we don't really see different skill sets being used. Mm, mm-hmm. So like even though Billy and Jess are working together, it's still like kind of unclear. <laughs> what Jess like Jess, it doesn't feel like Jess has a skill set in this really as bringing much bringing it to the table as much as like Billy's like well I need to involve you in this so mm-hmm. here you are how about for you okay so just as much as the surprise element of Jess playing Billy the whole time really works for me mm-hmm. what doesn't work for me is Billy so naively falling for it because she's so smart she's so clearly so smart that it shocks me that she would fall for this so easily that she would let like even like once she doesn't believe jess when jess is like i didn't find the box down the well and so she goes down herself why didn't she take the other boxes with her if she was so convinced she was going to find the box she needs the other boxes to find the box so, like, there's just so many elements of Billy's behaviors here that I find just a little bit unbelievable because of how intelligent she is. Right. These are things we would expect, like, the youngins to be yes, messing up. exactly. The other thing that doesn't work for me here, and it's a little bit tangential, but I think is important to mention, is that ultimately Jess is rescued by Tasha and Oren. But mm. this part was entirely left to chance, right? They just so happened to search her you know her search history on her computer and they just so happened to get there right in time as soon as she was running away from the reenactment they pull up like it's so left to chance and i would argue that a good heist should never have steps left to chance and, and should have an escape plan i mean right. what even, was she gonna do comp- otherwise right if we're comparing back to the first heist like riley was waiting in that van the whole time mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. good point Okay, so we're almost done. Um, I'm going to quickly take a a pause and argue that the next thing that could potentially be considered a heist is in episode seven. And this is the Sorwana and the convent part, the part Mm. that I always forget about, you know, the part where they actually find the third box. Yeah, the part that I I actually really like, but yes. Okay, Um, but I'm going to argue that this part isn't a heist, I think. And it's at this point that, like, honestly edge of history has definitely warped our definition of a heist like a lot at this point so it's hard to say but i'm going to say that there was no plan involved in the sorwana part right they were just following clues and just like seeing what they could again split up and search for clues mode and ultimately they were found out by the nun and they were encouraged by her so they had permission therefore it takes away the illegal component so i'm going to call this a non-heist Yes, I agree. I think we can also go one step further and say that because we did not really consider the Buckingham Palace mm-hmm. heist in the second film to be a heist, this is very similar because a large part of this heist was them like walking into somewhere, right? But then 
like figuring this weird thing out with the chords on the mm-hmm. organ mm-hmm. and that very much reminds me of like the the puzzle box thing like ben didn't be, like ben didn't know exactly what he was going to need to do with mm-hmm. that desk and so i think like if we're not calling that a heist definitely can't call this a heist great point um then that means emily i think we only have one more heist to talk about in edge of history oh wow uh, this happens in episode eight. It is our direct parallel heist. And this is breaking Raphael out of prison. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the steps, okay. which I want to emphasize. This is the heist that is supposed to measure up to stealing the declaration and kidnapping the president. Why? Well, at minimum, it's where Jess delivers the quintessential national treasure line. I'm going to break my dad out of prison, right? We are supposed to be. We are being invited to compare this heist to the two franchise heists, okay? Yes. So the steps. One, Tasha uses ransomware to convince the prison's automatic drainage system that there's a flood, leading the drains to empty. Jess is then supposed to go in, find Raphael, and lead him out through the drains all in a matter of 10 minutes. Um, We do have an element of chaos here since her dad just so happened to choose to flee that night. Um, Then to escape, Raphael's plan not Jess's, Raphael's plan is to use this mirror shard to blind the guards who are going to be shooting at them, then to run across the prison yard and cut the fence with some, like, cut wire cutters that we don't know why he has them after all, now that I think about yeah. it. Um, <laughs> and then Tasha and Ethan are going to collect them in the van. So, again, we're, we'll talk about this when we get to what works and what doesn't. Allow me to remind you This is supposed to compare to the heist of stealing the declaration and the heist of kidnapping the president. Okay, let's talk key qualities. First and foremost, we do actually have some tech here. We have Tasha's ransomware. Um, So that's just a a touch of pre-planning, but nowhere near the level of pre-planning of our national treasure heist. And I would even argue it's, it's less planning than for the Book of Secrets heist as well. Yes, although I did find it. Mm, oh, wait. Oh, wait. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is really feeling like a theme in the Edge of History heist universe, where when we get to what's happening during the heist, we don't have a lot of plan. We are just going to kind of go after it and see what happens. Um, we just know, oh, you have 10 minutes to find your dad and, ex- and escape. Like, right. good luck. <laughs> <laughs> we wish you well. We, yes, exactly. Um, a really interesting key quality of this particular heist is that one of the steps is entirely facilitated by Raphael without Jess's prior knowledge. And that's like the mirror part. Mm. We've never seen something like that happen before. That's true. Um, leading to another key quality, there's an escape plan. Uh, even if they don't have full control over it. Raphael has control over it, but there is one, kind of. Yeah, I mean, they were waiting. Yeah, we, Tasha and, and um, Ethan were indeed waiting. That is true. And we knew so, they would be there. Yeah, it was comforting. Unlike the Alamo one, where we didn't actually know they were going to be there. No, no, we were just going to run. Uh, <laughs> um, finally, 
It's another pattern in Edge of History that I think differs quite a bit from the films. No heist goes perfectly, or even close to perfectly. There is, is truly chaos in each one. And you're laughing, yep. but I, like just point blank, like that's just a statement of fact. Yep, that's very true. So, let's talk about what works and what doesn't. Emily, take yes. it away. Okay, so I think for me, the thing that I found really cool and what worked for this was the... Uh, how Jeffs was going to get into the prison and the fact that they were utilizing Tasha's skill set with mm-hmm. the tech to enable that. Um, so I think that was, that was very good. Um, for good, that was, a, and the fact that people were like, we had an escape plan, right? Like people were waiting. Mm-hmm. I think for me, what does not work is, and this is, saying something about a heist from the outside of a prison when you're trying to get someone out of a prison is like they had no contact in the prison so they didn't really have this goes back to my like communication thing mm-hmm. they don't really have a great way of communicating things to Raphael. i'm i'm thinking of like prison break right now where like one of the big like heists is them literally breaking out of prison <laughs> but there are people inside the prison that are able to do things to enable this to happen and we don't have like kind of that inside person that we're in contact with and i think that lack of communication and understanding really kind of damages the heist component to me. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How about for you? I'm so glad you asked, Emily. Um, to me, what works is that they succeed in their task, which honestly feels rare at this point. And I don't mean that as sassy as it comes no, across. No, yeah, it, yeah. It's it's true. They did succeed. They got Raphael out and no one else, like no one was apprehended in the physical process of the breakout of the prison and no one was injured or abducted. Like nothing really bad happened in that entire heist, which is honestly the most similar we've gotten to National Treasure yet in, yep. in the show. Um, to me, there are two big things that don't work here. Okay. Um, honestly, there's probably more, but to me, these are the big ones. Number one, a a bit like Ian choosing the Gala Knight to steal the declaration, Raphael deciding to break out of prison himself that night, of all nights, um, makes the heist feel entirely unnecessary. Oh, yeah, because he, yeah. Like, he was... You believe he could have done it by himself. He could have, but but also, like, it, it almost doesn't matter. And that leads me to big point number two. That's a big misstep. This is the main heist with the lingo parallel to the films, and it's not even consequential to the treasure hunt. Oh. Yeah, it was like the fa- it was family. He did not need to be broken out of prison. He did not need to be out of prison. Right. For the treasure rest of the treasure hunt to work. If if Jess really still needed to, you know, um, you know, pick his brain or whatever, she could have visited him. Mm-hmm. Like this wasn't necessary. That's a great point. And this is the big heist of the of this of the mm-hmm. show. Big problem. Yeah. Look at you. That's awesome. Okay. Well, I'm so glad because that's where we're going to end our our discussion section and we're going to move into our reflection and our wrap up, which in the case of this episode, Emily, I wanted to 
um, kind of have a thesis statement and talk about, based on what we've discussed here, what makes a high-quality national treasure franchise heist? And then I think we can really wrap by having a little bit of fun by ranking the heists. Sound, sound good? <laughs> Sounds great. Okay. So um, I how about I do – I'm going to pitch to you what I think makes a high-quality national treasure heist based on our conversation. And you can tell me if you agree or disagree or if I'm missing anything. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, first and foremost, I wrote it in all caps in my little memory jogger. You need a prep sequence with payoff. Yes. To me, this is the biggest thing that stood out to me after doing this exercise. I agree. That was something we talked about in every case. Every case. Either that it was or wasn't there. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, the next thing that I think really adds to a national treasure heist is having complexity to the plan and like actually having a stepwise series of events in the heist itself, not just like winging it once you get there. And I think that's because it makes it more interesting and compelling to the viewer to see how the puzzle pieces, no pun intended, actually fit together. <laughs> Hilarious. No, but do you agree? I do. Yes, I, I do agree with that. This, yeah, there needs to be, it can't just be super simple. Okay. And also chaos is not is not how we 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 do things well chaos does not inspire confidence i want that on a pillow because <laughs> it just applies to so many things in life not just this chaos does not inspire confidence <laughs> <laughs> okay 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 my next one and this what are you still laughing <laughs> yeah that's great i love it okay <laughs> yep Okay, my next one, this could admittedly be a personal preference, but I really think that having science and tech involved in the heist adds something substantial. Oh, I mean, I agree. Yeah, I I feel... Because you need some, like, clue that, like, or some indication that there's, like, something cool needs to happen in order for things to work. And I feel like part of it for me is part of a complex heist means having different elements come together. So it means understanding like maybe a little bit of history, maybe some science, maybe some like architecture or engineering feature. You know what I mean? Like it th that adds to the complexity, which we've already said we think is important. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree. And I agree that we might be biased on that, but <laughs> I, I'm willing to admit that. All right. Another one which I know you agree with because you've brought it up yourself multiple times. We need to see individualized skill sets used. There needs to be a reason for all the people that are involved in the heist to be involved in the heist, which, yeah, I think is an issue when you have a lot of characters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think a fun element of a national treasure heist that is also ends up being important to the heist itself is having well-utilized disguises. That is something that at least um, in two instances in the Alamo and Graceland, uh, even Edge of History does really well. Yeah, I think I agree. I don't think it's necessary. For a national I, treasure I... heist? If they did a heist in the third movie and there wasn't a disguise 
Oh, it would bother me at this point. I know it would bother you. I don't, I, I don't, that's not, that's not going to make it or break it for me, but I understand where you're coming from. If Ben is not wearing a tux during the heist in the third film, we revolt. We rolled, we, we ride it, Don. <laughs> <laughs> Just on a roll tonight. Okay. My last one. Are you ready, Em? Yes. A national treasure heist must have a clear end goal which really helps with buy-in and also for the audience to understand what's happening. Yeah, honestly, I feel like a heist in general, <laughs> like not even just national treasure, like a good heist, you need to know what what you're going for. But definitely well, then in a national treasure heist, which, you know, we pride national treasure on being like heist-related stuff. So, yes. Um. Do you think I missed anything or do we think that's kind of, uh, are those the official elements of a high quality national treasure heist? Oh yeah. But no, you didn't miss anything that I like feel like we consistently brought up. So good. Great. Great. Okay. Well now I'm curious, um, listeners, if you have key elements of a high quality national treasure heist that you think we missed, uh, you're going to want to let us know, but before we wrap up, Emily, how about we do a ranking, which is always fun. Um, rank Emily from best to least best national treasure franchise heist. Go. Wait, from best to least best? Yes. Um, national treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, like, but like way above. Okay. Like, like untouchable. <laughs> okay. Um, gosh. I think... From then, I I gotta go with Graceland. Really? I think, yeah. Um, it was chaotic, but yeah. And they didn't know what they were going for. You said that was important to any heist ever. It is well that yeah they knew they were going for something related to Elvis. Like I mean, yeah, I know. I just I liked that one. Okay. Um. If I have to, I guess then the second National Treasure film, I really don't like that heist. I think it's terrible, but it's fine. The other ones in terms of like the characteristics of a heist are worse. After that, it all becomes a little muddled. Um, I would say probably Prison Break, Alamo, Governors. You like the Prison Break more than the Alamo? Yeah, because of the planning for me, the the tunnel thing, it, it like that that planning it was, was all very that cool. one element of the plan. Yeah, yeah. And you already forgot about the VR headset. I know. I I remember that. I was just I the <laughs> the tunnel system to me was cooler. All right. Okay. So okay, how about you? To me, this was actually a really easy exercise. Oh god. Um, National Treasure one was the best heist again by leaps and bounds. Then National Treasure two the second movie's heist. Um, then I have like a tie between Edge of History's Alamo and Graceland. And then bringing up the rear, it's a tie between Prison Break and Governor's Mansion. Okay. But that being said, since we clearly didn't love the heist in Edge of History, what was the best Edge of History heist? I mean, you must say Graceland, right? Yeah. Yeah, because it had the most people involved. So it's better than the prison break to me. 
Okay. And you know how I feel about different people being involved. We I, we didn't utilize many more skill sets, like individualized skill sets, but we at least it was a team effort, mm-hmm. even though the team was not super on the same page. Okay. Okay. How, how about you? Alamo, I'm guessing? This was actually tougher than I thought it would be um, because I went into this thinking Alamo. And I, I'm going to say Alamo, but I think the Graceland one had a lot of potential. Like a mm. couple of tweaks, and I think it would have actually been quite strong. Okay. Yeah. So that's actually very interesting that, like, we're that close if we have to pick the Edge of History one because I feel like, you know, we're not normally. No, we hate each other and our opinions. (laughs) So, if you want to hear us hate each other and each other's opinions more. No, I'm kidding. We love each other dearly. Um, But if you want more of this, if you want to tell us your thoughts on any of what we just talked about, be it what you think needs to be in a National Treasure Heist sequence, or maybe you completely disagree with our rankings of the heists, let us know. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast, our website, nthuntpodcast.com, and then go ahead and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. We've kept it very simple for you with the NT Hunt Podcast being consistent <laughs> in all of that. Absolutely. And if there's one other thing we're consistent on after today's conversation, it's that uh, – National Treasure 1 has a pretty perfect heist, and we will take that to the bank any day of the week. But hey, in the next episode of National Treasure Hunt Season 8, we are so excited to be having a conversation about the ethics of our characters' decisions in National Treasure Edge of History. We can't wait for that. We hope you can't either. But until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt. (laughs) Thank you.